1: I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is a brand strategist and visual artist and the founding, I'm not going to say her name of her studio, we'll get to that in just a second, her consulting practice. She helps marketing and sales teams across the healthcare ecosystem grow their brands and envision Innovative ways to electrify their work. Drawing on her work as an artist, she brings a fresh creative perspective to strategy. At the Boston Consulting Group, where she began her career, she became fascinated by the deep emotional connections that brands can build with consumers. She went on to work for boutique branding agencies, focusing on customer research, product innovation, and packaging design, and has had the privilege to work with some of the world's leading corporations such as Unilever, PepsiCo, Kellogg's, Mars, Samsung, Genentech, and Novartis. She holds a BA in art history from Dartmouth and an MBA from Harvard. Her own creative outputs include painting, sculpting, jewelry, and children, she considers that creative output. We'll have to talk about that. Please welcome today, my guest, Susan Mayer. How are you doing, Susan?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? And thank you for having me.
1: I'm really excited about having someone who crosses the the spectrum of business and art, which one of my favorite books by Max Dupre is called Leadership is an Art or Leadership Art. I'm I'm sure that as we talk about this, we can make some connections between business, art and leadership. Absolutely. Let's start by giving a little background on these, starting at Dartmouth and uh, having these Ivy League school backgrounds and how you've progressed to where you are today.
2: Well, you know, I think what's a great thing about a liberal arts education is that, that perspective of try everything, see it as much as you can. And then make connections between those things. And so I'm very much a product of that. As you pointed out, I kind of live in these two seemingly very disparate realms. But for me, in my world and in my thinking, they're actually a lot. There's so much crossover and they're very related. And the ways of thinking and even some of the tools that I use when I'm making art are very similar to when I'm leading teams through a business process. So while on the face of that, that may seem strange, if you think about it in the context of that liberal arts perspective, it actually makes a lot of sense.
1: So tell me how you make that connection. How does that brain work? How does Susan's brain work that connects art and business?
2: I mean, I guess... I'm sort of hardwired in a certain way, which is to always be toggling back and forth between, you know, the big picture and the details between Seeing possibility and dreaming and imagining things and then being very, very practical and logical. Um, and so, you know, if you look at my artwork, there's a lot of mathematical relationships between shapes. There's like a lot of precision, but then there's also a lot of fluidity and looseness and unexpected elements. And I would say exactly the same things about the way that I, you know, will lead a project. You know, I think it's for some teams they need more of one versus the other, but I think every team with really any objective needs a little bit of both, right? You need a little bit of imagination, inspiration, you know, get out of your box and think differently and imagine something new. And then you also, can't stop there because, it, you know, it needs to be actionable and it needs to be feasible and there needs to be some logic for why you're doing what you're doing, if only to present it to the folks who are going to approve it. Right. And, you know, it also has to make sense to the people that you're trying to sell it to, you know, as your customers. So I think those two parts are, are part of any endeavor. So I really try to bring that to the table and use that you know, as, a, as a philosophy, but also in, in practical terms in the way that we construct the process.
1: Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say as you talk about that is no matter who is consuming, whatever they're consuming is to know your audience. You're, ta- you're communicating with the audience, whether they're a buyer or someone who's looking at your art. You need to kind of understand how they're looking at it to connect with them, right?
2: Absolutely. And that's also a big part of my philosophy and the way that I run my business and help my clients is that notion of, you know, I think of it as empathy. And in a business context, it can be hard. It doesn't mean that you're not an empathetic person, but you're so focused on, of course, doing your job and making your product the very best it can be and making the numbers. And sometimes you just don't have time or you forget to actually ask the end user, what they think. And I always think of an example of, I did a project a while back for a manufacturer of Light bulbs, a very large la- manufacturer of, of lighting. And they were so excited about this new technology they had, and they were talking lumens and degrees Kelvin and all this stuff. And, you know, of course, we learned all their terminology and what it meant, and it was indeed exciting. But our role there was to help them see that they couldn't actually write that stuff on the package or. It, talk about it in their marketing because they needed to talk about it in terms that the customers really cared about. And so we went out and interviewed people about their light bulbs. And it may surprise you to know that people aren't super excited about light bulbs or the purchasing process of light bulbs, but what they are really excited about, I mean, poetic in their description of is the role of light in their lives. And so it was this really transformational moment for, or insight for that company to understand that when they were marketing this product, which was indeed new and exciting from a technical perspective, the way that they would need to be talking about it to the folks that were going to be consuming that product was in very different terms. And it was in the terms that mattered to them in their lives.
1: Sure. So, yeah, I think about, well, as you're talking about this, you talking about light, but I have a degree in engineering. So I, I get into the features, I, the lumens and the awesome LEDs, super, you know, less energy, great stuff. What my wife is concerned about is, is it warm? Is it like a, you know, warm color, you know, exactly. and, right? And that's what you're talking about. So let's back up for a second because we're, we're getting ahead ourselves a little bit because I'm really curious as to how this 20 something woman who graduates from Dartmouth with a degree in art, decides to talk, you know, in, in your introduction, I talked about this emotional connection to a brand. And what was the path that you took that went from art into business? And how, how did you get there? Was it luck? Was it, was it a passion? Was it uh, you're walking down the street one day and somebody handed you a job? What, what happened? How'd you get there?
2: Well, let's start with graduating from college in the middle of a really bad recession (laughs) Mm. Uh and having this, you know, great opportunity to work for a management consulting firm, which, you know, doesn't come along every day. So even though it was outside of my field, it was something I had never considered doing these consulting firms, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, came to campus and you know, and that's another real privilege of going to a school like Dartmouth and, and I'm so grateful for that that, you know, those companies spend their resources to, to go to those places and to talk to kids like me who have no experience, who've never opened a spreadsheet and say, hey, come with us. We're going to train you. We're going to teach you some stuff. And hopefully you'll add some value to what we do. And so I, you know, I had thought that I was going to go have a job as a, you know, a curator or, you know, work in some artist studio as an assistant. And instead, I found myself in a corporate office in Boston, learning how to put together a PL statement. And <laughs> not surprisingly, I wasn't the strongest member of their class on that dimension. But the upside of that is that I got to do really what I found really interesting work because they would send me out to do interviews. They said, okay, this one really, you know, she likes people. She can talk to people. She can, you know, sort of get them to tell her stuff about what they care about. So I started doing a lot of customer interviews or employee interviews. And that kind of led into doing a lot of work in the consumer practice. And so fast forward to after business school, I returned to the Boston Consulting Group and I was doing a lot of work in their consumer practice and we were doing customer, consumer research And we were working for, you know, large brands and I found it so fascinating as I would do focus groups and one-on-ones with people telling me about their relationship with the Barnes & Noble brand or the Victoria's Secret brand or whatever. And they have these very intimate personal relationships, you know, Kellogg's cereal brand that they feed their child. And it just struck me how, um, fascinating that was. And then, of course, when you started to see people friending brands on Facebook, I thought, boy, that's a powerful metaphor because people are actually interacting with brands as they interact with friends. And of course, that continues on every social media platform today.
1: As, as if the brand is like a, a living, breathing thing, right?
2: And it is. It is. And a brand, when it makes a promise, you know, in, in my business, we talk about what's your brand promise, right? And that means like, what's that unique, distinctive positioning that you hold in the world that you defend from competitors and that you, you know, offer to your customers. And, but I think the word promise is really important because you do need to deliver on that promise. And your relationship with your customers is exactly the same as your relationship with your best friend or your partner. You know, you you want to promise something that's real and genuine to who you are, and you want to deliver on that promise, and they expect you to.
1: So you did all these interviews, and it started to strike you listening to the people talk about brands like they were a human being, and, and that... I think what I heard you say and what we talked about is you, you started to create that emotional connection, that understanding of an emotional connection between brand and and the people. So that took you onto your path, basically, right?
2: It really did. And then and then when I discovered that there was this discipline called branding and that there were agencies that did nothing but that, the other thing I found really appealing about that is that it was a way to loop back into. You know, my visual side, because as an artist and an art history, aficionado. I'm I'm just a very visual person. And so, you know, you could do brand strategy. So by then I was, you know, established as a strategist, but as a brand strategist, the ultimate expression of a brand strategy is visual. It's like, what's the logo? What's the, you know, the colors? What does the website look like? What does the advertising look like? And so that was very satisfying to me that there would be kind of a visual payoff to the strategy work that I was doing.
1: So, you know, when I think about brands and the way you talk about it, you can create what you're trying to do is create that emotional connection, a feeling, you know, I, I mean, I, I walk out to my car and I, I bought a new car a year ago and I walk out and I look at that car and I got, I love this car, <laughs> you know, and it's just, you know, you just kind of look at it and it just feels good, Right. And that's what happens with brands, right? Is you look at it and it's the way it makes you feel when you see that brand, because you connect the promise that of that product or that service to your past experiences. So when I'm hearing it and isn't that art, I mean, isn't when I look at a piece of art, aren't the great artists they look at as how does it make? I don't like it. And they're like, that's awesome. That's exactly what I was trying to create. It's a piece of art that people didn't like, you know, <laughs> and then they love it. They, they don't like it, but they love it. Or Whatever the feeling is, is a combination of that sensory input to an emotional connection to something in their past or something in the present that creates a response.
2: I love that analogy and I've never actually thought about it that way before. That's so very cool. So like what I was going to say when you were talking about your car is, you know, that's a, that's a great classic example of, you know, in branding and marketing world, you think about what's the functional benefit that your customer's getting. So you want your car to you know drive, get you from point A to point B, should be reliable, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not really why, that's not at all why you stand in your driveway and go, I love this car.
1: I love this car.
2: Right? It's because of the
1: emotional benefit. No, and I have to, okay, full disclosure, I'm I'm an engineer, full disclosure, and I went through and I looked at all the luxury cars because I wanted to buy a luxury car. and I went I went through all of them. I, I started at the top and I, and then I ended up buying the same brand that I had before because I just love the feeling I have when I have that car. So that
2: is <laughs> right. the power of branding, right there. Yes, yeah. yes. And so when we talk to you know when we ask consumers, you know, the reason that we're talking to them is not for them to play back to us, yes, I want the light bulb to turn on or I want the car to run. We want to understand what is that feeling that you're looking for? Because that feeling is different for different people. That's why people buy different brands of cars. And so what is, you know, you would call it in my world, you know, the aspiration or the emotional benefit that you're looking for. So how is it that you want to feel? And different brands are going to make you feel different way and different brands are going to make different people feel different ways. But what is that emotional payoff that you're looking for? And how do you match that then to the brand? and its promise and what it can deliver. And some brands can deliver some things. Some brands can deliver multiple things, but they can't all deliver all things to all people. And so it's that matchup. And But what I loved about the analogy with the artwork and that I had never thought about it that way before, you know, when you look at a piece of artwork as a non-artist, you're not sitting there wondering like, I wonder what kind of paint they use. Like, how is this thing constructed? What kind of adhesive, you know, like did they... I mean, I'm thinking those things when I look at a piece of art, but that's because, you know, I'm an artist nerd, but what you're thinking when you're looking at a piece of art is like, wow, you know, I, well, either, as you said, like, I hate that, or that makes me feel amazing. Like, I just love, I don't know why I love it. I just love it. And whatever that, and why you hate or love different things has to do with whatever your personal aspirations are like. I want to feel free. And so I love this feeling of, you know, expansiveness and emptiness or whatever it is, or somebody else wants to feel joy. So, you know, they love like uplifting or bright colors or, and it's really exactly the same thing that brands are doing.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I've gotten to the point in my life where I don't care why I just know I like it. So, you know, in a lot of, a lot of times, that's the hard part to connect with in the work that you do in branding, right? So let's let's fast forward a little bit because you, you you know, we're we're talking about branding, your first job, Boston Consulting Group, you're you're doing all that. But then you got an MBA. And since Harvard is in Boston, the you know, Cambridge and Boston area, I guess you just walked on campus one day and said, gee, just let me in. Is that how that happened?
2: Well, the path had a few more zigzags than that, but I, again, in in gratitude to the Boston Consulting Group, they do actually send their associates to business school. So they, you know, yeah, so that's extremely helpful and also, you know, does encourage you to go to business school. But I actually left and took two years off before doing that because I wanted to kind of see the world. And also because I had this idea that I wanted to work in arts management. So I moved to Singapore, which the reason I chose to move there was because I had been staffed on a project there with BCG. So I was already there. And then I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. And I can travel around Southeast Asia and, you know, do my 20 something backpacking thing. And then I'll, you know, get a job here. And I had the good fortune to, there was an opening for a general manager at a repertory theater, the Singapore repertory theater, which was relatively new and was just starting to grow as an international theater for Asian stage actors. And so I spent actually spent three years there running the kind of business side, business and marketing side of the theater and fundraising. And that was just an amazing experience. And and then after that, I went to business school.
1: Wow, that's that's a great story. So getting to live overseas for a few years too gives you a little bit different perspective on life and business, doesn't it?
2: It really does. It's invaluable. I, I couldn't recommend it more.
1: Yeah. So you, you you got your MBA. You then what happened? You went to work, or you started your own agency. And I said that you know your own firm, the uh, Susan Meyer Studio. That's what you do now, right?
2: That's right. You became
1: an entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, I've been doing that for quite a while now, but I didn't do that straight away after business school. I worked for two years back at the Boston Consulting Group. And then I uh, wanted to specialize in branding, as we were talking about. So that's what I did. I worked for a couple of boutique branding agencies, and I think the reason I kept progressing is because I I kept wanting to get closer and closer to the visual piece. So I started out in a place that was very strategy focused, um, and then I was kind of lured away by the idea of oh, these guys do more creative stuff, and then finally I landed at a place that was really a packaging design firm. had never had a strategist before. And so I built their strategy team and that was quite fun. And then after that, you know, I had been working in branding for 10 years or so in agencies and I thought, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to to start my own.
1: Yeah. So when you were building that and people are in situations like this all the time in business or as entrepreneurs, and you're looking at growing and you have to hire people, what do you look for?
2: Well, so I will say about my agency, what I decided to do is I don't have full-time employees. I work with freelancers, but the question remains because you still need to find talent. And I, I do work with, you know, the same people over and over again. You know, I think the combination of somebody who has special talent in whatever it is that you need from them. Most of the people that I work with are designers. So for me, it's, you know, somebody who's got real visual, like a a great way of looking at the world that's just a little bit different, but is very, you know, polished and professional combined with somebody. And this is not to be underestimated at all, ever. Somebody who's really just great and easy to work with, somebody who's reliable and delivers and communicates well and is kind. And, you know, I, I, so I think that's the combination I'm always looking for.
1: Yeah, you you say a lot of things that really resonate with me when we talk about this. I have a client that I've been working with for, I'll I'll be going into my 13th year in in January, and they've been a client of mine full-time for that 13 years. And I tell the executives, anybody that comes in, they say, okay, you need to meet with Dr. Gary. He's going to talk to you about our culture because he just seems to know it better than anybody. And I said, this is easy. There's two things. There's just two things in this culture you need to do. And they're like, you know, should I write this down? I said, sure, you can write it down if you want. That's fine. You ready to take notes? Okay, two things. Work hard and get along. And that's it. And they will, they will find a place for you. And I think that we can all say as we gain some understanding and knowledge and get out of our 20s and 30s and 40s, it's more about the people we work with and the ability to have a passion for what we do and be able to be accomplished at that and make a contribution than anything.
2: Absolutely. And I remember, I remember not knowing that, you know, when I was early in my career and a easy example is, you know, when you work in a consulting firm, you're constantly working for a new boss. You don't have a boss. You have a project manager for a given project that lasts a few months and then you move on. And the rookies, right? When you're first out of school, they all want to do like, oh, the cool project that's for the music company or, you know, whatever the project, the project sounds cool. And that's what you want to do. And you keep getting advice and it takes you a few projects to listen to it. But all the people who've been there a while is like, it doesn't matter what the project is. It matters who the manager is because your life and your happiness and your livelihood and your, you know, enjoyment of that project depends entirely on what kind of manager you're working for. And so you can go work in the most, you know, unsexy, whatever, manufacturing or whatever it is that you're not interested in it doesn't matter as long as you're working for somebody who's sort of generous with their time, gives you a voice, helps you learn, gives you a seat at the table for the, you know, client meeting and that was a powerful lesson that i'm embarrassed to say, you know, took me a few years to learn.
1: Yeah. It took us all too long to (laughs) learn that.
2: Right. But that's a powerful one.
1: But it's aligned with, we were our first thing in our branding is we get rid of bad bosses. I mean, that's, you know, we make good bosses into great leaders with compassion and accountability. So we want to make them bad to good to great if we can but if we can't, we're going to get them out of the position because it's still the biggest reason people leave companies is because of their boss.
2: Yep. So true.
1: It's so true. So now you, you're doing this, you're doing branding and strategic planning and things for other companies. Talk a little bit about what you're doing for these companies now and how do you get involved? I mean, when you talk about branding and a promise to the customer, you're really talking about the core values and the commitment of that organization to provide the service product or, or combination of that consistently to the people that are purchasing their product or services. How do you go about making sure that what are you looking for for people that eh, they're not really, they're just trying to sell something, you know, I'm sure you've run into that, right? Yeah. There's not really much of a promise.
2: That's, you know, that's natural. It doesn't mean they're bad people if that's their perspective. So the process I take them through exactly that we start with values. We start with, you know, what I call the, who are you piece So reflect on who you are as a team, who you are as an organization, who you are as an individual. And, you know, the bigger the team is, the more time is spent on kind of alignment, right? But thinking about, you know, how do you show up in the world? What are your values? How do you want to show up in the world? Because some organizations are in transition and they're, you know, sort of trying to get better. And so there's a piece of that. And, you know, what can you genuinely say that, you know, you're going to deliver on? And then we add in the customer piece. And then we say, okay, so let's talk. Now that you've kind of identified what the attributes of your brand are, what you think. Or what you want the attributes of your brand to be and what your kind of belief statement and, you know, brand pillars are going to be. Now let's talk to the people who are using your product and depending on how big the company is and how big the budget is, ideally we talk to people who might be using your product but aren't yet, you know, so you talk to your target. Well, there's a little work first to identify who that target is, and some companies are clearer about that going into the process than others. Then you go and talk to them, and you get feedback from them, and you hear what they care about. Going back to our earlier conversation, you hear about what they care about on a functional level, but more importantly, on an emotional level. You hear what they currently think of you today, what they think of everybody else in the playing field, and what's most important to them, You know how they would like to see you and the others in the field evolve. And then we put those two things together and you say, what can we uniquely deliver on that they actually care about? And so we come back around to the navel-gazing piece and we say, what are we doing today that's actually really good, unique, different, new? And how does that line up with the stuff that they care about? And so there's this kind of like grid-like exercise where you'll have stuff you're really good at that they don't care about and stuff they care a lot about that there, you just can't deliver on. It's just not going to happen. And so you have to find that space and it literally looks like a grid with, I mean, it actually looks like my artwork. There's probably a reason for that, but you know, (laughs) boxes (laughs) filled into a grid of like, these are the spots that we're going to move forward with. And then depending on what their objective is, sometimes it's positioning. So it, quickly then translates into messaging. Sometimes it's innovation as well as positioning. So, you know, those then become innovation territories. And then we drill down on, you know, how can we develop ideas around these areas? You know, different organizations have different, you know, need states, right? Some of them are really looking to connect with customers. Others, you know, other times it's really about, you know, training employees and onboarding the team and getting alignment. So there's internal and external kind of deliverables from that process.
1: Yeah, I really it depends on whether you're trying to innovate to a new product or if you've got a present product and what the alignment is. But what I'm hearing you talk about and, you know, it's, it's near and dear to my heart being that engineer that I talk about that uh, you've got a process, you know, and, and it starts with investigation. And this is really marketing and people really confuse. My doctorate is in marketing. And when I tell people, what's the most important part of marketing?" and they'd oh my message and "No, no, no. it's it's analysis, it's research, It's trying to figure out, and that's what, you started with that. I talked to the customers, I talked to the, the people that are delivering it. Do we have the values? Do we have the vision that connects with what our buyers are looking for? And if we don't, y- you're going to die eventually. <laughs> your, your company's going to, right? You're going to go down the tubes. This is really simple, you know because you're trying to give people something they don't want. Okay. So eventually you're going to have fewer and fewer buyers. So what I hear you saying is, is you go through this investigative process to connect what's going on internally. And we talk about leadership being an inside out thing. First you, the individual, then the team, then the organization. Now let's go talk to customers. And we talk to customers and their perception. And then what I'm hearing you say is you create a gap analysis between the two that you can then create a strategy to move forward whether you need to make some adjustments to what you presently have or completely innovate something new in order to be able to survive.
2: That's exactly right. And I have worked with clients all across that spectrum of well of how big that gap is basically. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fascinating because I you know I actually some of the work that I did on uh, customer service based on my dissertation is we found that there was a zero correlation Between the perceived receipt of quality service and the perceived delivery of quality service from the company delivering it and the company receiving it, that was my dissertation was on. There is zero correlation in the perception of these two things. And it was the business owners that I did it with that turned into clients of mine. And I'm sure you've seen this. Is well, how do we find out? How how do we find out? you you go ask your customers your customer. <laughs>
2: okay, and you listen
1: <laughs> or, or no, don't, don't do that. No, no. Hire me to go talk to them yeah and I'll, maybe I can get better answers, but that's what you do. Yeah. It's just a process that you follow of discovery. And I like when you talked about it, you use the word, who are you and then aligning that to how you show up every day. I could use those exact words that you use in branding to leadership. Who are you? And the first step in our, our leadership development program is, writing a personal mission statement. So you know who you are. And then how do you show up every day? Yeah. You basically do the same thing in a different realm in the development of that, that process. That's really cool.
2: Well, I mean, I think it's because going back to that, what we were talking about, how, you know, this discovery that I had that brands are like people. Well, I mean, it goes both ways, right? So the process that I'm using for brands can be used for people because we're anthropomorphizing brands. So it's that same kind of self-reflection, self-discovery, you know, looking at yourself from the outside. And I, that makes a lot of sense. What you're saying is that that would be a great leadership
1: process as well. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So my last question for you is if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Susan 20 years ago and give yourself some advice, what would you write? What would you tell Susan?
2: Oh gosh, definitely. I would say relax. Everything is going to work out fine. It's not going to work out anything like you thought it would, anything like you're planning for. So forget about all that. Follow your instincts, follow your heart. All of that cliche stuff is a cliche for a reason You're going to zig and zag a million times, and it's going to look like it doesn't make sense when you're inside of it. And then you're going to be 20 years out and look back and go, oh, that all makes sense together. (laughs) So don't worry about it. That would be one thing for sure.
1: We were just talking to a group of business leaders last night when we were on a a big call, and and we talked about this because what you're saying is giving advice for what's going on in our head because we think with all the plans Mm -hmm. and all the thoughts that I have, we think we're in control and we're not. And we, we worry about those things that then don't go right, that we thought we we're in control of, that we weren't in control of in the first place. And if we just go with the flow, and like you said, if we follow our passion, the research recently that's come out on this is pretty astounding. That says, if you can find something that you love to do, and you can use your strengths and apply it to just almost anything It really doesn't matter what that is. What matters is what you're doing and who you're doing it with. That makes a lot of sense. By the way, I've got the, the name of this podcast. As you were talking, I got it. Brands are people too. So (laughs) that's going to be the name of our podcast. Awesome. I I always like to get that in before the end of it. And Susan, I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts, your ideas about branding and letting me throw in a couple of thoughts about leadership as we've been along. It's been a real pleasure talking to this terrific business artist. I love it. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. This was fun. And I learned a lot too.
1: Well, that's one of the parts of our brand is to always be learning. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you for joining us once again on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Thank you and be well.
0: Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.